Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are our living hope. You're our living hope, Lord, for the, the grave could not hold you. And the third day you rose again, God, and you said, because I live, you also will live. And God, that is our great hope today. Lord, may we rest in that. May we be ever mindful of how far you went to bring us to yourself. And as we come to the table today to celebrate communion together, may that be the cry of our heart. Just how thankful we are for your all-surpassing love. So Lord, we worship you and we praise your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome this evening. It's good to see you all, have you all here, and uh, good morning to our online folks. Glad you're joining us today. Um, and today is, uh, this week is Communion uh, Sunday week. It's Thursday, but it's, so it's Communion Thursday for you guys. But for you guys online, it's Communion. And so if you want to like hit pause right now on me and go and get like some bread or juice or wine, whatever you got at home, um, get that ready for, for at the end of the sermon. We're going to all uh, partake of Communion uh, together. And uh, Kev, if you can help uh, go around with this bowl and just pass it out to family so they have it uh, for the end of the service, that would be wonderful. They already have it? Oh, awesome. Okay, you guys are set. Perfect. If you came in late, it's here. Okay, don't, don't feel bad. Come on up and snag it uh, whenever you need it. Send a person from your family. and uh, Jesse's got you. That way they don't get on the camera. Perfect, perfect. Don't be camera shy. <laughs> All right, so we are in our Advent series titled Maranatha. And if you remember from last week, Maranatha is that Aramaic phrase meaning come Lord, or the Lord has come, or the Lord is coming. So depending on how you say it and where you put the emphasis, it has a threefold beautiful meaning and promise behind it. It addresses the reality of Jesus as Lord and as both present and coming. And that is Advent. The season where we look to the coming of the Lord in Bethlehem, right? It happened and we celebrate that. And then at the end, we, we celebrate his coming as it will happen. And then we remember as he comes into our own hearts as believers, it is happening. He is present with us. So we're splitting up these next three weeks to look in more depth at each of these meanings. So first, that is today, we will look at the Maranatha cry for Christ's return, meaning his second coming. And then next week, we'll meditate on what it means for him to be present, right? That he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He'd, he'd be with us to the very end of the age, right? That the kingdom of God is at hand. And finally, Christmas Eve, we'll look at the Lord who has come. And I know it's in reverse chronological order, but uh, it, it's a lot more fun to do the Christmas story on Christmas Eve. So we're going to flip that around, and we're going to do it in reverse order. So this morning, uh, we get to talk about the second coming, the second advent. And advent's a season of anticipation of, of a coming event or a person. So our, so our greatest anticipation is for Christ's return. So we, we live in anticipation of the coming kingdom. And remember from last week, for every one instance in Scripture, 
pointing to the first coming of Christ. There are eight passages pointing to his second coming. That's a big ratio, eight to one. Uh, And we recently studied a whole chapter in Mark's gospel account, Mark chapter 13, about the second coming where Jesus is telling, hey, this is what you look for, this is what to expect, and this is when I will come. So these are the signs. No one knows the day or the hour, but these are the signs of it coming. Um, And so with that in mind, uh, we can also go to Jesus on the road to Emmaus, uh, with the two men, we, we snuck up on them as they're walking to Emmaus, and they're like, oh, all these crazy things happened, and Jesus is like, what happened? You know, and, they, and so they're talking about it, like, do you not know? You know, and so, and then he walks them through all the prophecies regarding him, and how he, the Son of Man had to suffer these many things, and die, and, and, raise, and raise a new life, and he said to them, do not be slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so I say that to you this morning regarding his second coming. Do not be slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. And a great passage to begin with is from the Old Testament, from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel had a vision in the night of the end of days, and he he describes the the demise of the final Antichrist. In in all this, this man's boastful words, he talks about him being boastful. And he was thrown down into the blazing fire, says Daniel. And then beginning in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the second coming is the consummation of the kingdom that will never be destroyed. So Jesus came and and he inaugurated it, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. But he will come again to consummate it for all eternity. And the Maranatha cry is for Christ to return and to accomplish this. And to make all things new on into eternity. So there are two main things embedded in this Maranatha cry for the Lord's return. First, it's a proclamation of loyal love for Jesus above all else. When you cry, come Lord Jesus, come. And when you say Maranatha, it's a proclamation of loyal love to Christ. That's, that's our, it's our heart cry, right? He's our hope. He's our joy. The one who loved us first. We love him with the same loyal love he has shown to us. And that, that's the goal of, of this entire series, is for us to, to cultivate in our hearts a desire and a love for Jesus, a longing for Jesus in our hearts, and, and an unsettledness in our hearts without him. So a heart that loves his appearing and waits eagerly for it. And with that comes an unshakable hope and an unshakable joy that nothing can snatch away. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So how is this true? Because the earth is passing away. And to put our hope in it, our love in in the earth, for us to try to to wrangle hope and joy and love out of the earth is like like getting plastic surgery to to try to stay looking young, right? It's it's a temporary thing. 
And, and the older you get, you got to redo it. You got to redo it. You got to do more, do more, do more. And then eventually you're going to die. And that's just, that's just how it is. So it's, it's vanity, right? It's fleeting. It's passing away. It's temporary. But to find hope and joy in Christ is to find it in the eternal and the unshakable one. And it cannot be stolen. It cannot be affected by circumstances. Whether I have more or less or, or experience more or less fun things in this life, we're content in all things for we find ourselves in Christ, in his love as his children. We find peace that surpasses understanding because of that. We find comfort. We find meaning for all that we do in this life because of that. It's with an eternal mindset that we acknowledge the holes in our heart and longings of our life can only be fully filled in Christ. Right? Anything else will leave us wanting. All right, it might satisfy you for a time, but then you're going to need more. You're going to need something new, something, something more, a little bit more, and then you'll be happy. Right? On and on and on the cycle goes. Jesus said to the woman at the well, remember, he says, if you knew the gift of God, and, and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He goes on and says, everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of the, the water from the, that well, will be thirsty again. So drink water and eventually you're going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So, so we strive to, to not be small-minded, right, and being driven and, and looking to our bellies, right, our, our desires for, for our joy and our comfort, but, but instead lifting our gaze to the all-sufficient one and finding fullness and completion in him. So I, I'm telling you this not so we, we disengage with the world and, and become isolationists and, and become irrelevant with, with nothing to speak into the world about. No, not at all. You want to become relevant? You want to speak into the world? Be genuinely content in all things. Be genuinely content in all things. Have a joy that's unshakable, a gratitude and a hope that's immovable, being fixed on the rock of Christ, the love and aim of your life. That gives everything you do meaning. So be filled with his peace and his grace and his love. Aim at heaven. And you'll get earth too. You, you, you get there by, by being caught up in, in the loyal love of Christ. That he takes preeminence in all things. And your life will become a wellspring. That those who are searching, those who are thirsty, can come and seek water that will truly satisfy. A water so that they will never thirst again. And they'll come to seek it. And they'll ask you, what's different about you? Now, why are you, well, how are you content right now? And you can share the great news of Christ with them. Okay, number two. The second thing embedded in the cry for, for the Lord to come is a longing for the end of the curse that began in the garden. Because since the fall in the garden, this world is cursed. It's broken. It's not as intended, right? We sweat and labor now for our food. You know, our relationships are strained. There's violence. There's decay in the world. Even bringing new life into this world through childbirth is painful. And then we struggle and fight for life, and then we die. 
Returning to the dust from whence we came. So, so Maranatha is a cry for that to come to an end. And also for a renewal of all things. Which these two are connected. For, for judgment must come for renewal. As it was on the cross. For the wages of sin is death. There, there's a price. And Christ took the judgment upon himself. So that we could take on his righteousness. It's a free gift. So, so, so that Paul could say of this with authority, he says, there is now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for the world and for Satan, the demonic, those all, all outside of Christ, there will be a final judgment. So when we say Maranatha, we long for the end of the curse and for renewal to come. This cry is seen in the didact that we looked at last week, if you uh, were with us last week. Uh, we read, let grace come and this world pass away. Let grace come and this world pass away. It's a longing for the grace of God to come, for renewal to come and for this world to pass away. So this world needs to pass away and be reborn just as we do spiritually to, to receive new life. It goes on. It says, Hosanna to David's God. If anyone be holy, come. If anyone not be holy, repent. Maranatha. Amen. So, so see what is happening again. So, so, so we say grace come and this world pass away. It's a cry for an end of the, of the broken and cursed world, for judgment to come on the earth and for renewal uh, and, and grace to fully enter in. And then again, this thought continues by saying, if anyone be holy, uh, come, if anyone not be holy, repent. So, so whenever we talk about the second coming, uh, we talk about judgment. And we talk about newness of life entering in. It will be a great and terrible day of the Lord. I don't know if you've read Revelation, but the king who laid his life down for us and took it back up again is coming to claim what's rightfully his in all of his terrifying power. So in the first coming, he showed us the way. Right, that the meek and the humble, those who trust in God, will inherit the earth. He made a way that any who put their faith in him, believing in his death and resurrection, confessing him as Lord, repenting and receiving forgiveness, are saved, period. And at his second coming, all who have suffered, been martyred, and persecuted for their faith, all those who have denied self, all those who have taken up the, the way of the cross, Following after him, all who have patiently endured will be shown to be wise and faithful and will be rewarded. Revelation 3, 10 through 11, Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, he says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may steal your crown. So several things here. First, this is in, there, there is an hour of trial that is coming to those who dwell on the earth. There will be a great tribulation. But then look, he promises to keep the church from it, this church in Philadelphia from it. Why? For their patient endurance. Then also he says he is coming soon. So hold fast in order that no one may, may seize or steal your crown meaning your reward. So he describes this in a parable uh, called the parable of the talents, or, and also another one, the parable of the minus. The minus. In Luke chapter 19, we read, uh, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable 
because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. So Jesus, he was preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Believe the good news, repent. Um, and, and they thought, okay, he's fully going to usher this thing in right now. And, and so to clarify for them and for us as well, Jesus uses a parable. He says, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. So that's a, it's a sum of money. And said to them, engage in business until I come. So, so he's entrusted to them part of his kingdom. He just says he's entrusted it to us. He has given us a mission, the great commission to go and tell this good news, to make disciples, to, to teach people about Christ, to train them up in righteousness. He's entrusted that mission to us. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Okay, the world crucified Jesus. His own people, the Israelites, rejected him. They did not want his reign. We read on, Jesus goes on, when he returned, having received the kingdom, okay, so he's returning. The people sent a delegation, we don't want you, they crucified him, right? But he's returning. No, no one can stop him from returning to receive his kingdom. So then when he returns, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So there will be a, an accounting at the return of Christ. And Jesus, we see in this parable, he rewards the faithful servants. He rewards them greatly. Okay, he puts them over like 10 cities for, for uh, getting 10 meters back in return for one. And another, he puts over five cities. So he rewards his servants greatly, but judgment comes as well. And we see that the wicked servant in this parable was cast out. The one who was not faithful. And again, we see this uh, in the parable of the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come. Okay, and five of them were ready. They had extra oil ready to go, and five weren't ready. And they're like, oh, we, we're not, we got to go buy some extra oil. And they left, and Jesus came. The five entered into the, into the wedding banquet, and the five came later on, and the door was already shut. And they said, let us in. And he's like, it's already it's done. It's done. You missed it. They weren't allowed to enter. So, so on the day of the renewal, there's also a judgment. And then uh, we can go to Matthew 13 and see another good example in another parable that Jesus tells. Um, we read Matthew 13, beginning verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then did it, does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather my wheat into the barn. 
And I love this parable because it so succinctly describes our current age that God in his perfect love is allowing both weeds and wheat to grow together so as not to uproot any of the good grain. And we see he's waiting for the fullness of harvest and then he's going to send out the reapers to gather first the, the weeds growing in and among the good wheat, you know, sucking away nutrients, causing strife and struggle and, and trouble. They will be gathered up and burned and then the good wheat will be gathered up and brought into the barn. So in this parable, we see a perfect example of God's perfect love and his perfect justice, his mercy and his just punishment. So uprooting all the evil at once would, would have uprooted the potential for the good grain. And also the children that God was waiting for who were not yet born. That, that includes you and me and children to come. He's waiting for the good grain, for the harvest to come to completion. So, so the evil sowed by the enemy, not by God, but by the enemy is allowed for a time, but not forever. It will be brought to justice at the end of the age when the harvest is complete and is at its fullness. So embedded in the cry for Jesus to come, that Maranatha cry is a cry for his judgment to come to the earth. Because the earth groans for it's in, it's in birth pains. That, that evil would be brought to an end. And the injustices we see would be brought to justice without which the cruelty of this world would be unbearable as, as senseless and meaningless. But with the coming judgment, those who have endured the cruelty and righteousness will be rewarded and brought into the barn. It is the final accounting the Maranatha cry of Jesus to come again is a cry for the end of the current system. It's a cry for Jesus to return and take rulership of all things. And man, do our hearts long for that. For Jesus to take his rightful seat as ruler. And for him to put an end to Satan and his, his demonic hordes. To, to put an end to the kingdom of darkness. It's not a trite thing that Jesus is coming again. Every word and action will come under judgment. Jesus says in Revelation 22, verse 12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So again, he brings rewards, but also vengeance. So, so we can look forward to the rewards in the new kingdom, right? It's a beautiful promise. And then also, we can let go of vengeance. For God says, vengeance is mine. It belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. So we don't get to take vengeance on those who have wronged us because we know we too are also guilty. So we give it to God. Because we know on that day he will bring a final recompense, a final justice. And yet, and yet Jesus calls us to pray for our enemies here and now that they also might hide themselves in Christ's righteousness as we have. That's the heart of Christ. That's how serious he is about his judgment. That's how serious he is about saving people, about saving you and me. He says, do as I've done. I died for you while you were yet enemies, right? Enemies of me. I died for you. Go and do likewise. That's the new kingdom. 
And that is a godly love, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We're, we're a people who've been bought with blood. We follow a crucified man who is also a king. So because of that, we're, we're not getting caught up in, in lists and, and rituals and rites. We, we are caught up in proclaiming the king who has come and who is coming again. In fact, he says, he's coming soon. There's an urgency about it. There's a great anticipation because in Christ, and there's healing. In Christ, there is hope. In Christ, there is redemption. The hope of the world. So that's why we continue to strive to live up to that high calling of God on our lives, to be holy, to be righteous, not to be self-righteous, but righteous as those who find their righteousness in the perfect one who laid down his life to bring us to himself. So I want to end today uh, by giving you a glimpse of heaven that the apostle John saw. And so we read in Revelation 21, uh, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. You can just like close your eyes right now and just try to envision this, a new heaven and a new earth. He says, I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The curse is done and gone with the coming of Christ. And skipping ahead to chapter 22, we're going to read on a little bit more. Then the angel showed me to John uh, the river of the water of life. He says, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign with him forever and ever. Amen. And then we're going to skip ahead to verse 14 in Revelation 22. John writes, Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. We'll end with verse 16 and 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. 
It is a free gift of God. It is nothing we can earn. It is what he has given if we would but call upon his name. So we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come to make all things new, to wipe every tear away. Isn't that good news? So look up, take hope for the soon return of our Lord. And if you're discouraged today, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. He's faithful and good. And that's what we remember as we come to the Lord's table today, to celebrate communion together, to proclaim and remember anew what he has done, how vast the love of God is that he would go so far to bring us back into right relationship with himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that we can come to your table today. So God, as we come, we ask that you would prepare our hearts. God, we come with repentant and contrite hearts before you. Lord, confessing our sin. And we thank you that you're faithful to forgive us, Lord. And God, if we have wronged anybody or, or need to forgive anyone in our hearts, God, would you bring them to the forefront of our mind now that we may forgive as you've forgiven us, that we may pray for others as you've called us to, Lord, as we're mindful of how far you went for us. God, we thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen.